Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. You have made it to Friday. It's the 30th of July. And on today's briefing, your questions on the vaccine. We're almost half a year into the rollout, but there's still so many tricky and very valid questions, so many things to clear up about the vaccines and their rollout. And you guys have sent us a bunch of your questions. What percentage of the global population we need to be vaccinated before international travel is on the cards? Am I able to get the Pfizer vaccine later? Is that safe? If you are on the pill, does it then become a higher risk? Are we safe to rely on UK statistics? So in this briefing today, we're going to answer those questions with Dr Nick Coatsworth. You might have seen him on the vaccine ads Um, He's a doctor who was also the government's deputy chief health officer. The most protection is just with a single dose of Astra followed by your booster dose and similarly a single dose of Pfizer followed by your booster dose. So that's our briefing with Nick Coatsworth in just a moment. And don't forget about the briefing Instagram quiz today. This bulletin of headlines will be laced with clues, which means Katrina Blouse will have no excuse in getting them wrong later today. (laughs) Definitely not. I'll be uh, taking notes throughout this whole process to ensure that I smash you in the quiz, Tom (laughs) Tilly. Let's hit the headlines. 300 troops will hit Sydney's streets to make sure people are following the lockdown rules. We are seeing non-compliance at a level that's impacting on the virus and it's impacting on Sydney coming out of, or New South Wales coming out of lockdown. That's Mick Fuller. He's the New South Wales Police Commissioner. He formally called in the Defence Forces yesterday afternoon and the troops are expected to be on the streets as early as Monday. Yeah, so this kind of approach was also taken during Melbourne's second lockdown. The soldiers will be door knocking the homes of people who've tested positive to COVID-19, as well as those deemed to be close contacts. And that's to just make sure that they're isolating and doing what they're meant to do. They'll also be helping set up some roadblocks. And that came after a record number of cases yesterday, 239 in New South Wales. Some really important numbers will be shared in National Cabinet today. The level of vaccination needed in Australia to end lockdowns. The federal government commissioned experts from the Doherty Institute to crunch the numbers on vaccine thresholds and the Prime Minister will share that research with the Premiers today as they work out a plan to end lockdowns. We don't know yet how much of that modelling will be made public today. I hope all of it will be because that's so important to know um, what that, I guess, gold standard is going to be for the roadmap going forward. Yeah, the Grattan Institute, which is another think tank, they put out research this week saying that 80% is the number that's needed. And to get there, we could use a national lottery to incentivise people to get the jab. Fax lotto, we're calling it. $10 million worth of prizes a week for, for eight weeks. That's not a bad idea. I mean, anything to encourage more people to come forward in a faster sense, I guess. That's Danielle Wood from the Grattan Institute. She was speaking on the ABC. In Australia, they're saying that even if 80% of people are vaccinated, we could still see something like 10,000 cases a day day, which is staggering. However, those cases won't need intensive care Mm. because the symptoms won't be so bad. Yeah, well, the UK is at 70% of all adults fully vaccinated and, and they're opening up. So I guess they give some indication. They are seeing quite a few cases, but the death rate is dramatically lower than during their third and biggest wave in the depths of winter. Jailed Australian political advisor Sean Turnell has been seen in photos for the first time since he was arrested in Myanmar six months ago. Yeah, this is something we covered on the briefing at the time. Professor Sean Turnell was an economic advisor to Myanmar's leader Aung San Suu Kyi until they were both arrested when a coup happened in January. 
So two new photos have been released by Myanmar's military government and they appear to show the 57-year-old receiving a COVID vaccination, which his relatives say is really great news. They're relieved to see that because the prison he's being kept in is experiencing a COVID outbreak. He was a lecturer at my uni. It's pretty sad to see him locked up all this time. Good news he's getting the vaccine though, obviously. And members of Australia's track and field Olympic squad have now been cleared to compete. A huge relief for them after being caught up in a COVID scare involving an American athlete yesterday. It was a pole vaulter from America, Sam Kendricks, who had to withdraw from the Games. He was sent to a special health accommodation after testing positive. And three members of the Aussie team had to take tests straight away. And the rest of the squad had to isolate until those tests came back negative um, because they were casual contacts of the American pole vaulter. So that bad news, I guess, came after another great day for the Aussies. More gold. Jess Mm. Fox came first in the canoe slalom, which was such an emotional win for her. Both of her parents were Olympians and missed out on gold medals Mm. due to technicalities. And Zach Stubblety Cook won the men's 200-metre breaststroke. Kyle Chalmers got silver in the 100-metre free, losing by a fingernail to American rival Caleb Dressel. Yeah, I watched that one live. That was so close. It's such an amazing <laughs> race, the 100 metres freestyle. It's just muscle and power, and he was right there <laughs> coming back, and they were they were right there, and um, didn't quite happen. But the women's 100 metre freestyle will be today, which will be super exciting. We've got two contenders mm-hmm. there, Kate Campbell and Emma McKeon. And Kate Campbell is just a lovely girl. She's coming to the Brisbane newsroom for Channel 7 quite a bit as well on work experience with her Mm. sister Bronte. Uh, Before the athletes get into full swing, though, there's still some big swimming medals on the line and the Matildas will be up against the UK in the football quarterfinals and Aussie teams will be also competing in the men's and women's rowing eight finals. So plenty of excuses to not work today if you don't feel (laughs) like it and just sneakily watch the Olympics on the side. Sweet. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you next week. Jan Fran's about to join us as we speak to Nick Coatsworth. Hello, it's Jan Fran and Dr Nick Coatsworth is with us to answer all of your questions. Hi, Dr Nick. You probably know his face from TV. He was the Deputy Chief Medical Officer. He was in the government's vaccine ads. COVID-19 vaccines continue to roll out to those most at risk. And he is the Executive Director of Medical Services at Canberra Hospital. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. The first question comes from Chiara. Hi, all. My question is, if I want to get the AstraZeneca vaccine now as someone who's under 40, am I able to get the Pfizer vaccine later or Pfizer top up? Is that safe? Ah, really interesting question. Nick, what do you say? Oh, it's a top question. And and there's been a lot of studies uh, looking at the mixing and matching of vaccines. For Astra, though, the side effects tend to be worse with the first vaccine. So, you know, you'll get a um, headache and fevers for, say, 24 or 48 hours. Some people feel very fatigued and all that gets better with Panadol. And then with the second dose of AstraZeneca, those are actually better. And and interestingly, the same thing happens, but albeit at a much, much smaller risk level with the blood clots. So the blood clot risk for a young person is about three in 100,000 of getting the blood clot with the first dose. And then with the second dose, it reduces by a quarter. So it goes down to three in 400,000. And that's just of getting the blood clot. Of course, um, the risk of dying from a blood clot due to the vaccine is about one in a million. Dr. Coates, something that I've been hearing just through mates I've been seeing on social media is that 
the best protection you can get is if you have two doses of AstraZeneca and on top of that, two doses of Pfizer. So quadruple dosing. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Well, yeah, that's been around. In fact, there was that story of a, of a young fellow who decided he'd go and get Astra and Pfizer to give him more protection. And this is sort of a common thing. And, and it happens every day in medicine where people think, oh, I'm feeling bad. My blood pressure's up. I'm just going to take double the dose. And, and that definitely doesn't work in, in that sort of situation. And, and it most certainly doesn't work in, in the vaccine uh, sense. So the most protection is just with a single dose of Astra followed by your booster dose and similarly a single single dose of Pfizer followed by your booster dose. Well, that's great to know and actually properly understand that. Here's our next question from Kat. Because of the low vaccination rates in young people, it's hard to find Australian statistics for AstraZeneca blood clotting for people in their 20s, 30s and 40s. Are we safe to rely on UK statistics for this? Now, you touched on that in your first answer, Nick. What's your answer to that specific question? I love Kat's question because it is absolutely always important to get data from your local context. I think internationally there's been enough work, though, that we can confidently talk about three per 100,000 as being the risk associated more or less between the age of 20 and the age of 50. And that's the risk that Atagi was using when it started calculating when to put the age recommendation in. But what does a three per 100,000 risk actually mean? Because sometimes that's really hard to conceptualise because it's so small. Let's compare it with some other risks. If a young person had to go and get an elective operation, say on a knee or something like that, where they had to have a general anaesthetic for it, your risk of actually getting very crook or even dying from the anaesthetic is about one in 100,000. Wow. Now, these are risks that often you won't even hear from the doctor who's giving you the anaesthetic. Yeah, definitely great to have that information. Dr. Nick, our next question comes from Erin. It's a question I'm sure a lot of women in particular would want to know. I know there are varying risks for blood clotting when you have the AstraZeneca vaccine or are on the pill, both as separate statistics. But if you are on the pill, does it then become a higher risk to ask for the AstraZeneca vaccine? You know, one of the things I've noticed is that the quality of questions from young people is just superb. Mm. That is a really important thing to understand that Erin's asked us. And basically, the clotting in the body is triggered by a number of different pathways. If you get cut, for example, the exposure of blood to the outside world will trigger clotting within the body there's a number of different other clotting pathways as well. Now, the important thing to remember without going to too much detail is that the pathway that gives you clotting from the oral contraceptive pill is completely different to the one with the AstraZeneca vaccine. So there's a different process medically going on in the body that results in the clot and they're not additive. So they don't combine with each other to give you a bigger risk. And that's really important, not just for young women on the pill, but for hundreds and thousands of Australians who have either a personal history of blood clotting or a family history of blood clotting. These are different things and the risk doesn't go up with Astra just because you might have had a blood clot for other reasons. Yeah, okay. There's another question, I guess, that is really applicable to women and, and getting pregnant and the vaccine and, and all of those issues has concerned and confused a lot of people. Here's Caitlin. Hi, it's Caitlin from Wurundjeri Country here, wanting to know the advice if pregnant or breastfeeding mums should get the vaccine when eligible or wait. The most 
beautiful thing about the human body and the immune system is that when you're pregnant, your antibodies as a pregnant woman transfer across the placenta and protect the naive immune system of your fetus. And then similarly, when you're breastfeeding, the colostrum in your breast milk actually has antibodies as well. So as that immune system in your infant child is developing, you're actually providing your antibodies. So that means that when you're vaccinated for COVID-19 or whooping cough or anything else that you get vaccinated for during pregnancy, you're actually protecting your unborn and then your born child with, with breastfeeding. So that's the benefit in terms of any risk. Well, we waited to see what the international experience was going to be before we recommended the COVID-19 vaccine for pregnant women. The international experience has shown no problems at all with conception or fetal abnormality, any damage to the fetus or any problem at all with the infants, which is what we expected from previous vaccine experience with other vaccines. So it is very safe. So is there any greater risk for pregnant people getting either vaccine compared to the general population? And does that risk change throughout the term of the pregnancy? No, there's no greater risk at all in getting the vaccine for a pregnant woman compared to anyone else. The risk doesn't change during pregnancy. The biggest risk to be worried about when you're pregnant is actually getting COVID-19 because if you get very sick and go into ICU as a woman who's pregnant, then that puts an extraordinary amount of stress on your uh, your unborn child. And that is very dangerous, um, whereas the, the vaccine itself is completely safe. One more very quick follow-up from me on this very topic. Again, just debunking something that came through my friendship group WhatsApp, that Pfizer actually is the better vaccine if you are pregnant or breastfeeding or planning on having a baby. Is that true? I've heard another version of that, which is Moderna's better than Pfizer. So there is so much going around about which vaccine might be better in pregnancy and no data to support either vaccine Astra, Pfizer, Moderna over the other one. I mean, I think it's an interesting reflection on what we're all going through because, you know, we've all got WhatsApp friendship groups. I've got WhatsApp friendship groups. I have the discussions with my family members and my brother, cousins. Everyone's having these same conversations and it's okay to have them. It doesn't make you a vaccine hesitant or a conspiracy theorist or whatever. It's about the thirst for information that Australians have at the moment. All right, the next question is from Kira. Hey guys, I'd love to know what percentage of the global population we need to expect to be vaccinated before international travel is on the cards again. And do we have any indication of how travel is going to look in the future? I think this is a disease that you'll hear the word endemic instead of pandemic, which is a a new virus sweeping the globe that none of us are immune to. It becomes endemic, which means it just circulates within our community. So the first thing we need to do as uh, the Australian community is not really look at what the percentage vaccination is overseas because you can almost guarantee that unvaccinated people overseas will not be allowed into Australia without quarantining in a hotel or a facility like Howard Springs when more of them get built. It's more about what we're prepared to tolerate in Australia. Now, we've got a COVID zero sort of setting at the moment across most, well, all states really. And I think New South Wales has said that they want to bring this down to no community transmission if they can. What is the consequence of that, though? Of course, if you sit there on COVID zero, then not only can we not have international borders open, but the state borders can't open and the freedom of movement that all of us enjoyed is going to be restricted potentially for longer than it needs to be. 
the level that we need to have of vaccination in Australia is currently being worked on by the Doherty Institute down in Melbourne, who did all the modelling in the first wave. And I suspect it's going to come out within the next week or two. There's reports of National Cabinet discussing the pathway. So I think generally speaking, people want those borders open. Certainly from my perspective, I've got people I need to visit, elderly mm. relatives in the UK. They're not going to be around forever. Mm. We, we all have that. So 2022 is the year, I reckon. Yeah. Well, I mean, just on the travel question, is there a chance that at some point down the track, countries like the United States, for example, who didn't use the AstraZeneca jab, is there any chance that they could potentially stop Australians who've had the AZ jab from travelling to the US? I know there's been reporting about this um, happening in Europe, potentially. Yeah, it's going to, going to be interesting. There's going to have to be a lot of international cooperation on this. And where it's going to get challenging is probably not so much the AstraZeneca because the regulators, the TGA and the US regulators will share the data, as will the, the UK. And it shows clearly that the Astra is as effective as the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine. It's with the countries that have vaccines and the data is not as widely known. So we're talking about the Chinese vaccines and we're talking about the Russian vaccines. So I think it's more an issue for people who have had the Russian or the Chinese vaccines coming into Australia or coming into other nations like the US than it will be for AstraZeneca. If there's nations that aren't being as transparent as they need to be, they've actually got to be called out. And I think what you've seen in the past uh, fortnight, certainly from the Secretary General of the World Health Organization, Dr Tedros, is a more muscular approach than we're used to from the WHO for countries that aren't being as forthcoming with information as they need to be. Just one last one, Nick. I know there's a lot of cynical people who might think that because you've been part of a government campaign that you're on the take with the whole vaccine thing. What would you say to that? Oh, look, I get messages like that on Twitter all the time. I'm either a paid uh, shill of the uh, Liberal <laughs> National Party or I'm on the take from uh, AstraZeneca. Uh, I'm neither. And in fact, as a lifelong Labor Greens voter, I find it a, a, a little a little amusing that this sort of thing goes around. So I, I think there's a degree of uh, trust that people need to have in we're all working to the best of our ability in situations that none of us have dealt with. And so, you know, when you see criticism of decision-making of a targi and things like that, some of whom are, are some of my closest colleagues, I, I would simply say, just keep in mind that no one's had any pandemic experience. We can't go and exhume scientists from 1918 and the Spanish flu and get their advice. So we're all working on this together. We've all got the same questions in all of our families and um, we're working towards uh, the best outcome for Australia. That was Dr. Nick Coatsworth. And if you've got any more questions for him, he can answer them for you on his website. Go to nickcoatsworth.com. I tell you what, that interview could have gone for so much longer. Do you know how much information I just wanted to run past him and just say, hey, Doc, is this true? It's, it was really good just having him with us, putting those questions to him simply and getting a simple answer. Sounds like you should get him to join your WhatsApp groups. I've sent him a friend request. He's rejected me. <laughs> All right, that is it for the Monday to Friday briefing. The weekend briefing will be coming at you in your feed tomorrow morning with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who's on this week? Thanks, Tom. This weekend, I have chatted to Osha Gunsberg, yes, host of The Bachelor. For those who aren't a fan of the franchise, you might know him from all of his podcasts or from when he was hosting Australian Idol back in the day. Osha has lived a big and tumultuous life and... 
He's really wise and considered about so many different aspects of life from mental health to parenting to fame to meeting the woman he loves. This is one not to miss. Yeah, he's a really interesting guy, Osher Gunsberg. So much more than what you see on The Bachelor, as you said, Jamila. Looking forward to that. And of course, a big thank you for the team that make the briefing possible. Uh, Dan Mullins, our executive producer, Liam Kennedy, producer, Brooke Loudner, Brooke Young producers, and also our social media, Emily Lodge, and our amazing editor, Matt Curry. Listener.